Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. China's spy balloon. We've got a lot of questions about that situation. Number one, what were they after? And why was it so difficult to detect in the beginning? Uh, sometimes these balloons are made out of materials that, um, that don't show up well in radar. Sometimes they just appear as an anomaly. Nicholas Eftimiades is a retired U.S. intelligence analyst whose specialty was Chinese espionage. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The Chinese spy balloon captured everyone's attention as it floated for days across the United States, sparking concerns about what it was capable of, what it might have done that we didn't know about, and what the purpose of it was. We're talking with Nicholas F. Timiatis. And he had a long and very productive career with the uh, Central Intelligence Agency, the State Department, Defense Intelligence Agency, and his specialty was Chinese espionage. Nick, thank you for taking time to talk with us. Thank you very much for having me. Nicholas, as you know, everybody in the world, especially here in the U.S. and Canada, are fixated on this Chinese balloon that wafted across the U.S., was shot down over South Carolina and is now in the process of being collected. What exactly was that, Nick? Well, that was an intelligence collection platform. Uh, it was an expensive intelligence collection platform. It had a lot of power. So, you know, for solar panels, it had a very large array under it. So it was likely conducting several intelligence missions at the same time. Things that they, China couldn't get through satellite reconnaissance or having persons on the ground. So it was a very, very aggressive, extremely aggressive, because it violated U.S. airspace, uh, intelligence collection mission. So how is it that we weren't aware of this before, Nick? That's, um, so radar systems work, you know, it's sort of like um, you have to have an RCS, a radar cross-section of what you're looking for. Uh, Sometimes these balloons are made out of materials that, um, that don't show up well in radar. Sometimes they just appear as an anomaly because traditionally a radar system isn't looking for that. 
right? So once you see the blurb and the anomaly, as the U.S. did, you can go back through your previous radar detections and say, oh, that was actually a balloon. That was actually a balloon. So that's what the case is in this situation. So this particular balloon seemed to be starting out way up at the top of the U.S., coming down across Alaska and, you know, down through perhaps part of Canada and then into Montana. Um, what did you learn by watching what was going on and sort of cross-referencing that with your knowledge of Chinese espionage? Well, as far as we know, and, and a lot of details haven't come out yet, right? Not the least of which is the particular sensor array that was on the, on the airship. Uh, but those things, you know, they obviously invested a lot into that because it was solar powered and it was the size of a small uh, jet. So they're conducting multiple collection missions through this platform, things that they can't get any other way. So the likelihood is they were collecting, uh, collecting high frequency communications, which come out of military bases. The best estimate says they passed over about seven U.S. military bases in the path that it cut through in the United States. Uh, so they were collecting those communications. The sensor array was large enough that they were probably able to collect 4G and 5G uh, transmissions, which means you can map out the communications infrastructure on the ground. And typically you do things to try and develop pattern of life on individuals, on military units, uh, et cetera. So for the SIGINT collection component of this, uh, those two things, high frequency communications and um, and cell phone uh, you know, and placements. The last thing that you can do from something like this, if you're particularly clever, is you can drop drones. You can drop gliders and at 60,000 feet, even a conservative 10 to one drop ratio, you can take a glider and put it over hundred miles away. And you can glide that into a foreign base or a nuclear facility or a chemical facility and have sensors on board that can detect what's being done in that facility, what the potential radiation yields off of weapon systems are, things like that. Given the fact, and I want to get back to uh, this collection process, um, but given the fact that State Department came out and said that they know that China's been doing this because they know who the manufacturer is of these balloons, uh, and they know that essentially they've been deployed to five continents, 40 countries, Given the fact that supposedly they have that information, but we supposedly didn't know that they were doing that here, what is it you think China was able to, to gather? Were they able to gather anything useful before we figured out that they were doing this here in the U.S.? Well, there's um, we in the intelligence community, there's a, a game of mirrors, as it's called. Uh, most countries... Uh, sophisticated terrorist organizations, transnational criminal organizations, all have satellite warning programs. Meaning when a satellite passes overhead and they know it, they stop transmitting, um, they cover up, they take military forces off the field, put them in the, uh, in the um, hangars, they transmit false signals so that those false signals, signals are captured by a collection platform. So we don't know what's happened here. We don't know if the real U.S. really knew about it beforehand. Um, and if they did, if they were practicing what they call denial deception tactics. Uh, and we don't know if um, if the U.S. is just finding about it now because they took the radar cross section 
went back and looked through all the um, radar and said, oh my goodness, that happened here and here and here. And we didn't see it previously. So what could the Chinese do with this information that they collected? If if they collected anything, where, where would it be sent to? Who would, what part of the Chinese intelligence apparatus would get this and what would they do with it? Well, this is a military operation, a PLA operation. So if they were, and give an example, as if they hovered over Montana and were collecting the downlink from one of the military WGS satellites overhead, right? That's an encrypted communication that controls our nuclear, uh, you know, our nuclear command and control has our military comms on it. So even if they could collect that in an encrypted form, ultimately they could break it theoretically. You know, they could break it with enough time and effort, but they got to be able to collect it first. And the only way to collect it is to get in between the satellite and the military base. So that's one possibility. The same thing is true for the uh, high frequency communications that the military uses, which they could have collected a lot of that as they were moving through. And ultimately, you know, look towards trying to break that communications, trying to break that encryption, particularly if there is advanced in quantum computing as they say they are. You know, over the next few years, you know, we're still going to have these satellites up over the next 10, 15 years. So can they break that encryption, you know, over that time period and be able to pilfer you or stop and limit or jam U.S. military communications just knowing the frequencies that they're operating on? Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. This is an extraordinary situation that we're, we're in right now. And there are three other objects that have been shot down by the U.S. military since this first one. Um, was on the 4th of February. And it's not clear how much we will learn about those because I understand they're in some fairly difficult places to uh, basically go and find the the debris, you know, uh, up in the Arctic and in Lake Huron at the bottom of that. But um, what were your thoughts? What are your thoughts about those those other objects? Um, My initial reaction is I don't think they were from China. Um, because balloons, actually using balloons for scientific payloads and even for testing equipment, you know, it can it work at different radiation levels or temperatures or things like that, is done all the time. I mean, weather balloons, the U.S. launches about 1,800 weather balloons per day, so all over the world. So could have been a university, could have been a company, could have been anything um, at this point. We don't know. Uh if it was from China, if they determine, you know, if they do recover a payload and determine they're at China, given the different configurations and sizes, you, the, there's a possibility that China was testing, you know, U.S. perimeter defense and Canada's perimeter defense. 
hey, would the U.S. detect this um, type of material in a balloon? Would the radar pass through it or would it give enough of a cross section? Would it detect this type of payload? Which, as you notice, a lot of the payloads are octagonal or in different shapes. Are any of those designed as stealth payloads to be able to evade radar, to give a cross section that's not apparent? So th there's a lot of cat and mouse that could be played here if, in fact, these track back to China. Nick, what are we missing here? You know, one of the things you guys in the intelligence world always say, when I've spoken to you before in, in interviews, you've always said, we don't know what we don't know. And that's the thing that really worries you. What is it that we don't know here? Um, we don't know plans and intentions. Well, I mean, why China would choose to do this on the eve of the Secretary of State visit? Completely baffling. We can surmise, you know, China's trying to show strength or something like that, but we really don't know. Um, we don't know the internal communications that are going on in the CCP. When the Secretary of Defense, immediately after the incident, tried to call his Chinese counterpart, they wouldn't take the call. That's, you know, even though we have established, you know, means to contact them in crisis situations, the fact that they wouldn't accept the call, something's wrong. Something, there's some communication within the CCP or they don't have a story yet, which is profoundly disturbing uh, for the implications on the next time there's some type of crisis. So and then lastly, we don't know. What, I mean, this was a, a ill-conceived, ill-timed venture on Chinese on China's part. The U.S. reaction to this, particularly as we're approaching the 2024 elections, is apt to be pretty severe. The fact it was detected by the American public and not released by the government uh, makes it all the worse because there's a lot of fear in people. So what the reaction and how this will lay out for the future of U.S.-China relations is, is, is a big unknown here. There are so many questions that I want to ask you about this, but um, we're going to keep this brief because you are incredibly busy as always i'm just going to ask you one more thing here unless you give me a, a follow-up uh, from this from your answer to this what is it that the u.s military and the u.s intelligence community are going to do with this debris from this balloon they shot down and these other objects if they're able to find them well i'm hoping that and this will be the administration's call I'm hoping that they bring in the TV cameras and they put it and they put it on display uh, because that will really the same way the U.S. intelligence community and the administration acted over the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Put that information out to, for everyone to see. It will build trust between the government and the people, which is really something that's needed now. And it'll really make it very, very clear exactly what China has been doing and allow the United States and its allies to be able to respond as one to this. And that that's those are going to be key considerations. Uh because if they don't make it public, the Congress is is to, to be frank going to go bonkers. Um so that has to come out publicly. The only question is is how much? Uh you know, whether they'll disclose American companies who have parts there, things like that. Those are going to be big issues. Okay. And 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 one one final thing that I do have, what is it that the intelligence community and the military what is it that they're going to be looking for as they try to reconstruct this thing once they get all the pieces from it? Uh, technical analysis of the sensor capabilities. I mean, that that's what they're looking for, because the only way to determine exactly what they were after, which tells us about China's gaps, what they don't know, 
The only way to know that is to really in detail reconstruct their sensors and say, okay, this sensor is designed to collect, you know, X frequencies. Um, the size of the antenna allows them to collect, you know, frequencies at a certain um, communications at certain frequencies, which go to certain altitudes. Right. So it, it'll be a process putting the, doing the technical analysis of the sensor array as they recover it. So that, that'll be and then, you know, how, how did China intend to communicate the information out? Was it uploading to a satellite, which I suspect it was because the U.S. made mention that it was putting out communications? Was it going to do a dump when it passed over the embassy, what we call store and dump? Or was it going to maybe even do that to a Chinese uh, ship at sea in the Atlantic? So all these are possibilities. My guess is it's uploading to satellites. That, that'll be what comes out. Well, wow. so now you've given me another question I need to ask. You said early on in this conversation that this platform was probably doing something that satellites couldn't do. Why couldn't satellites do this? Because satellites, number one, do reconnaissance, meaning they're going around in orbit. So they only have a couple of minutes over a specific target. Okay. Um, the atmosphere screens out communications. So all that high frequency communications that the military uses bounces off the ionosphere and literally goes around the earth. It bounces and it goes around the earth because it doesn't get past the atmosphere. So a satellite's useless in trying to collect that. Um, satellites, because you can hover as the airship did over Montana for three days, you know, you can't hover with a satellite. So you can soak up the communications and you can geolocate things all over the ground in a way satellites just can't do. And because the U.S. controls all these slots in geosynchronous orbit over the United States, right, that China would have to put up a drifting satellite to stay right next to our satellites to be able to soak up the communications that are going between U.S. military satellites and ground stations. So they can't do that. So their next alternative is to put an airship right in between those two points, the satellite and the, and the military ground station, and then to soak up the communications. That's, that's, what that's what makes it effective. Fascinating. This interview, Nick, I have to say, I've done a few since we last engaged a few years ago. Um, this was probably at the beginning of the COVID period. Right. It's the most fascinating interview I've done since then, and I've done hundreds since then. But this particular one at this particular time with you about this topic is absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to share. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, Vladimir Karamurza is a Russian political activist, journalist, author, and filmmaker. He's a protege of Boris Nemtsov. He was arrested by the Russian government last year on bogus charges that he was trying to overthrow the government or something like that. He was also poisoned twice, 2015 and 2017. He survived, but now he's taken an unfortunate turn. Uh, his health condition is definitely deteriorating and uh, he's uh, developed the same sy symptoms he had after the 2015 poisoning. His wife, Evgenia Karamurza, joins us to talk about it. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA.
In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.